On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Dossier, presented by Metro by T-Mobile. We had this beautiful conversation about language and about um, the use of language and rap being more responsible for um, the things we say. And I try to explain in some way why we say these things. Because anything, any lyric or any music without context is a lie. You know, if I tell you that N.W.A. said, fuck the police, you would look and say those guys are gangster rappers and they shouldn't be saying things like that until the Rodney King beatings, which gave a context. And you knew this was what happened in their neighborhood. It was getting, uh, it was police brutality and it was um, an excessive amount of force. And they would take some gang members and drop them off in their rival gang members' neighborhood and tell them to get home. That was a, that was fun. Previously on the dossier. And I can tell you that there was a piece of evidence, a photograph, blew my mind and that of my fellow board members because David Mack and Rafael Perez, the leaders of the Rampart gang, dressed from head to toe in red. Red hat, red suit, red shirt, red tie, red shoes which is the color of the blood gangs in Los Angeles. So here you have two police officers dressed in blood attire. And they're standing next to a female who is wearing a red dress with a red bow in her hair. She's cutting a cake that refers to the blood's ruling. And the woman in that photograph, it was the daughter of the chief of police. Police, 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 police. You are now listening to episode four of the dossier, Phil Carson and the corruption of the LAPD. In the prior episode, Xavier Hermosillo, a police activist and former journalist, told me that Detective Steve Katz from LAPD's Robbery Homicide Division had hidden files in a secret compartment that was found inside his desk. These files led a federal judge to halt the civil trial that Biggie's mother had filed against the LAPD. The files were hidden from her lawyers and they were hidden from the general public. I realized that this specific information alone would beg the question, why did the LAPD hide investigative work product from Ms. Wallace? What were in those files? And what did they contain? Who do you think killed Tupac? Who do you think killed Biggie? I think I think the police killed them, honestly. You know what I'm saying? On some real shit. It's bigger than just Big and Pac. It's, it's more that came with that situation that a lot of us don't know about. So that's where I go with that shit. Illuminati did that. Secret Society. You'll never know. It's still too late. Shook Knight, always. I mean, that's the only idea I got. Biggie has something to do with Tupac, so-called, dying. And uh, Pac 
hard to say this to y'all, but Pac ain't dead. <laughs> the interesting component of having Phil to talk to is that with the information that he was giving me and his story, I now had more pieces of the puzzle that I didn't find on my own. Phil was an oracle because he had the resources of the federal government and the FBI to be able to dive deep into the Biggie case. Each time I talked to Phil, it was like unpacking years of information that he kept under wraps until he could retire from the FBI. My name is Phil Carson. I was an FBI agent in the L.A. field office for just over 20 years. Take me back to the night that you're sitting at home and you happen to catch a documentary. It must have been the VH1 documentary. Yeah, I'm I'm in my room. I'm just kind of channel surfing. I come across on VH1 this uh, documentary on on Biggie Smalls. And uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know who Biggie Smalls was at the time. And, you know, I'm seeing, you know, you got the police, you've got, you know, they're showing all this music, they're showing all this rapping going on. It just seemed interesting. So I was kind of checking it out. And as I'm watching this and it's based out of L.A., I'm going like, hold it a second here. And it start things start kind of start clicking to me. And then I start realizing that the uh, the LAPD officers, they're talking about the potential corruption that went on in L.A. Nothing had ever been done at that point about, you know, who possibly within the LAPD might have been involved and stuff like that. But they were just talking about, you know, how something like this could get pulled off. And everything just started clicking in my head going like, holy shit, there's there's something here. And that's when I went in and I talked to my bosses about it. Because I was one of the case agents on the Rampart case and I knew everything about, you know, what went on with that case and the LAPD corruption aspect of it. And then one of my good friends who was uh, who worked bank robberies in the L.A. division, who was one of the co-case agents that handled the David Mack bank robbery. So I knew all these different aspects. And when I put it all together, I presented it in a, in a long formed communication to my bosses and they went through it and they were blown away by it because nope. Usually everybody else that works all those different cases, there's no intertwined, you know, communication between the different agents that are working it. But since I was a case agent in each one of those, other than the the Mac robbery, um, I mean, if they didn't think something was there or if they didn't think that I was onto something, they obviously would not have opened up the case. I don't I don't decide on my own to open up a case. I need my supervisor's approval. I need my supervisor's supervisor's approval. And especially in public corruption cases, you know, we're not going after some, you know, bank teller who stole money out of a branch. You're, you're talking about going after potentially police officers where we've got one of the biggest working relationships with in LAPD. That's that's high profile. That's pretty sensitive. So it goes all the way up to the assistant director within the L.A. office to basically sign off saying, you know what? Yeah, there's something here. Go ahead and run with it. Where do you even start with something like this? Well, one of the first things I did was I went and found out, I read a little bit more about the whole Mac uh, bank robbery. And there were so many similarities between, because remember, Mac was also, uh, he was an initial target or a person of interest in the whole Rampart investigation. And then I was able to kind of find out that, you know, 
they, they were two of the 50 or 60 names that Rafael Perez had stated that were corrupt officers within the Rampart and the Southeast Division. So when I start putting that together, I start reading up more about the whole David Mack thing. I went ahead and talked to two of the LAPD detectives, Roger Mora and Steve Sambar, um, who today are two of my best friends and said, hey, I know you guys have an open case on this, on the Biggie murder. How can I get my hands on it? So they started kind of trying to figure out how we could do it because there's no way LAPD homicide would let the feds take a look at, at that case. Because first of all, the FBI doesn't look at murder cases. I would be looking at it from a police corruption or a public corruption aspect of it. The fact that I'm asking the LAPD for their murder file when I'm looking at potentially LAPD officers being involved, no chance, zero chance. So believe it or not, Deputy Chief Jim McDonald, who was literally the number two guy behind uh, yeah, Bill, Bill Bratton, Bratton, he actually came up with the ruse that since uh, Bratton had just come on board, he wanted to get kind of updated on all the unsolved high-profile murder cases in the L.A. area. And that's how Jim McDonald got the entire case file from robbery homicide um, into his office. I want to be clear about something. The LAPD cover-up of the murder of Biggie spanned two police chiefs, Bernard Parks and former NYPD police chief William Bill Bratton. This is important to show who knew this information and when. Myself uh, and my two detective partners, Moore and Sambar, we actually reviewed the entire murder book of LAPD homicide on the Biggie case in Jim McDonald's office, but we could not tell anybody. Nobody knew about it except for Bratton, McDonald, my bosses, and then myself and Moore and Sambar. So at that point, just so we're clear, you start to study what I assume is FBI files on the bank robbery of David Mack. Correct. That's where you start. Yes. Then you say, all right, the easiest way for me to get information is to go and get the murder book on the Biggie case. But you you thought that was a long shot. Come to find out, McDonald provide, Jim McDonald provides you with that book. It's not one book, by the way. We're talking about files and files of stuff. They had actually done a lot of work. And for whatever reason, um, they had not done a thing on this case for the last two or three years. I mean, nothing. There was dust on these files. And so they obviously weren't looking further into it. And as I'm reading this stuff, again, because of my knowledge of the Rampart case, the David Mack bank robbery... Things make sense to me more so than just a, a interview that was done regarding the Biggie murder because I know I know what was going on with these other cases and how LAPD um, and the tactics they used, whether it be police radios, police cars, police uniforms. Um, and it was the same people. It was the same police officers. They were all out of Rampart in the Southeast Division. These guys were all friends. They were all on our radar on Rampart, but we just could not look into them. And while reading through the um, the Biggie murder file of LAPD with uh, with Mora and Sambar, they had done a ton of work, but you could tell that it just stopped. And when I looked into who was the actual you know lead detective, that's when I started getting information from Mora and Sambar. 
because, you know, they still work for LAPD, obviously, that Russ Poole was the lead detective. When Phil Carson talks about Russell Poole, it is an important name in this story. Probably the most important member of LAPD's robbery homicide. See, Russell Poole was the original detective on the Biggie murder case. He was the first guy to go down the rabbit hole of seeing the patterns that there were LAPD officers involved in the murder. When he wanted to investigate this, he not only was blackballed from the LAPD, his stellar career as a cop was ruined. Russell Poole never recovered from the injustice he saw. You know what? I lost something big. I lost a a job that I love very much. And uh, during the course of all these investigations and uh, them trying to block uh, the investigations from moving forward, uh, certainly caused a great deal of stress in my life. And that includes my family. And uh, I had to take in consideration my family Uh, Because of it, uh, I was putting, they were living with me going through the stress of trying to uh, solve this case. You know, uh, Christopher Wallace is not here to testify. So it is my job to go out and find the witnesses and put the puzzle together for the the family members of Christopher Wallace. And uh, never in my career was I ever told to stop an investigation or stop from probing uh, into a case. And, uh, you know, I had to find out for myself on why. And you you have to really check out the information. So I started, like, reading into it, and then I found out that he basically was told, you're done, you're off the case, and they yanked it from him. I think what happened was Russ Poole found out through the grapevine somehow that the FBI was now looking into this and he actually reached out to me. And so I talked to him for a bit. I brought Russ Poole into the FBI office, got another agent. We sat down, started talking to him and Russ was very, very passionate about this case. It's almost like somebody stole his kid from him. And you have to put up that Chinese wall. I wanted to hear what Russ had to say. I wanted to know what kind of leads he wanted to do that wasn't able to. But at the same time, I knew that he was so passionate about this. I didn't want I didn't want it to come across as I'm now being an extension of where he left off. So I looked into, um, you know, what he had done there. And he told me that he had his entire case file at his house. So I went to my bosses and I wrote up a communication requesting, I think it was around $250 to be able to go with Russ and copy his entire case file down at Kinko's. And that's what we did. So I had, so I went ahead and I got his entire case file. I had already viewed the LAPD's murder file and Russ told me that he had access to Perry Sanders and Rob Frank, who were the lead attorneys for Mrs. Wallace's civil suit against LA. And he said that he could introduce me to them. I said, great. You go into robbery homicide, you're able to view that file. You can't make any copies of it. You can't do anything. But you do realize that Russell Poole was on to something. Correct. Is that a fair statement? Yes. So then you 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 open him as a source 
officially yes. at the FBI. Yes. And 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 now you have his case file that he had taken out of the LAPD or had made copies of it in a sense, right? Yes. Got gotcha. Yeah, and, and and again, because of the the high profile or the sensitivity of something like this, we didn't want LAPD to know what I was doing. Obviously my boss is new, Bill Bratt knew, Jim McDonald knew, but we wanted to keep it kind of like away from everybody. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So there's two ways that you can, the FBI opens up sources back then. One is a source that provides information and is willing to testify and is usually a source because they're trying to work off, you know, some issue that they had, whether they arrested, busted for drugs, want to get out of prison early, whatever the case may be. The other kind of source is, is somebody that's just giving you information but will not testify And their name is never to be known. That's what Russ was. Because I didn't want any paperwork or any trail at all that could lead back to him. Because I didn't want to to cause him issues. But more importantly, I didn't want LAPD to think that, oh, I'm just kind of picking up where Russ left off. That was far from the truth. So, So, yeah. So, I opened up Russ, got his file, and started reviewing it. And what you then realize, and I think this is an important part of the story is you also realize at the same time that you're doing this, Perry Sanders and Rob Frank are suing the city of Los Angeles on behalf of Biggie's mom. Correct. So as an FBI agent, what was your strategy with them that you thought was important to your investigation? And you felt, obviously, I would assume you're just on a hunt for information, right? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. I, before I start really looking into things, and I had a pretty good idea of what I was looking at, I want to look at the Mac file. I already knew about the Rampart and the Ruben Paul Merrill's file because I was the lead agent on those. I got Russ Poole's case file. I reviewed LAPD's murder book. And now I'm having an opportunity to look at the entire civil suit that Perry Sanders and Rob Frank have got against the LAPD so I arranged to to meet with them. When you're an FBI agent and you're looking into something like this, 
everything is on the table, right? There, there's no restrictions about like if there's a civil suit going on or there's legal proceedings going on. As the FBI, you're allowed to look into everything. Absolutely. There's no like, hey, Phil, you can't go talk to this person or you can't go talk to that person as the feds, right? I think this is what the people think about the federal government. And I don't know if it's true or not. It's like everything is at your disposal at this point. Right. I mean, they, they can't tell us no. Like I said, I did about eight or nine months of kind of digging into things on the Biggie Smalls murder on my own. And that's when I realized, you know, holy shit, there's not only something here, but there's a lot here. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this on my own. And I just worked for the last several years with with Moore and Sambar, the two LAPD detectives who are by far the best detectives that anybody could ever ask to work with. And I finally went to them. I said, guys, this is what I'm looking at here. I want you guys to be part of this case. And it's a, a an olive branch out to LAPD to be part of this case, you know. And they were, it was approved. And they had to go directly to their boss to make sure that they were approved, <clears throat> excuse me, to not only work the Biggie case with me, but to get the approvals to travel to New Orleans on two different occasions. Their boss is Mike Burkow. So again, later on down the road for Mike Burko to say that he had no idea that the FBI was even investigating the Biggie murder and possible LAPD involvement is the biggest fucking joke I've ever heard. Roger Moore and Steve Sambar. They're actually friends of yours, working colleagues. And you say, hey, I'm going to offer them an olive branch. I'm bringing them into this because if we solve this together, hey, it's a notch on everyone's belt. And at that point, they had the okay from, quote unquote, the LAPD bosses. Correct. And understand, the Rampart case, I was paired up with an LAPD detective. They had 40 of their best detectives apply to be part of this federal task force that we called RAMFID, which was short for Rampart Federal Investigative Team. Of those 40 detectives, it gets pared down to, I think, five or six. So one FBI agent like myself was paired up with an LAPD detective. Talk about the best of the best. These guys were, it were awesome. Fast forward then to the Ruben Palmeros case. Again, I'm working that case with two LAPD detectives, Moore and Sambar. When I look into the Biggie case and realize what's involved there and how these other cases that I've worked with LAPD, I reach out to, to Moore and Sambar, said, guys, we just got done killing this Palmeros case and it's still going on. Do you guys want to be part of this Biggie case? Because I can't do it on my own. And I knew what they brought to the table. These guys are phenomenal, man. Ruben Palomares is a name you will hear from Phil often. And his name is important for the following. Like David Mack and Rafael Perez, Ruben Palmeras was a part of the Rampart Division in the crash unit. Guess what? Palmeras was moving large quantities of cocaine for the Sinaloa drug cartel. Yes, the same Sinaloa drug cartel led by the infamous El Chapo. Palmeras was also robbing almost every high-profile gangster in South Central L.A. while he was an LAPD officer. In order for Mora and Sambar to start spending time working on the Biggie case with me, 
they had to go to their boss, which was Deputy Chief Mike Burko, to say, hey, Phil and the FBI want us to kind of be part of this investigation with them. Deputy Chief Burko gave them their blessing. And let's be clear about who Burkow is just now is is at that time you have chief of police of the LAPD, which is Bill Bratton. And underneath him is Mike Burkow, who Bratton specifically brought in to the LAPD. He was one of the I've heard he was one of the only deputy chiefs to not come from within the ranks of the LAPD. It had never happened before. Deputy Chief Burko was good friends and worked with Bill Bratton back in New York. Burko comes out to Southern California and actually was police chief in Irvine. When Bratton comes out and becomes, he he went from the NYPD commissioner, when he comes out to LAPD to clean up the mess that LAPD was from the whole Rodney King incidents and stuff like that, he reaches out to his good friend, Mike Burko, who's police chief down the street in Irvine, to become basically his number two guy. Never before had there ever been a deputy chief at LAPD that had not come up through the ranks. Mike Burko was the very first one. And to this day, I don't know, maybe there are others, but Mike Burko was the very first one. So the lawyers for Valletta Wallace and the Wallace estate and the Wallace family are Perry Sanders and Rob Frank. Correct. You decide, hey, I'm on a quest for information. I'm going to get on a plane And I'm going to go visit Perry Sanders in New Orleans is where he is at the time. Correct? Yes. And you take the LAPD with you because you're saying, hey, guys, this is an open book here. I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Here we go. We go down and meet with Perry Sanders. What happens when you go meet with Perry? Well, two things. One is, is um, we drove, we went to his office, tons and tons of, of files. I met his investigator, Sergio Robledo. Um, And so we're going through his entire file and I start realizing, I mean, (laughs) there's just, there's hundreds and hundreds of names of people that um, I want to interview that are either drug traffickers, gang members, hip hop artists, the full gamut. And because Perry and Rob are representing um, the Wallace estate, they're going to have access to these people because they want whoever committed the crime of, of killing Bill, uh, Biggie to be brought to justice. Now, Perry's got access to these people. LAPD, based on looking at their murder file, they don't have access to these people at all. Russ even told me he didn't have access to these people. I think the FBI might carry a little more clout to where they may talk to us because we're not, I'm not LAPD. I'm, I'm like looking into LAPD's involvement. But I've got a direct connection with Perry to where he could probably even set some of these interviews up for me, which, in fact, he did in New York. I mean, Puffy's one of the guys that I talked to. Puffy's not going to talk to me, but whatever. We, we worked things out. And we were able to do that. So I not only was able to look at his entire case file and look at all the different people that he had on his radar from trying to put a civil suit together But now I'm getting a full picture. I've got everybody's case file. I've got knowledge of everything. I can see not only what has been done, but what needs to be done or what people have tried to do and have been shut down. So now I got a full picture. Once I get that full picture, I come back to L.A. with detectives Moore and Sambar 
And of course, one of the first things that I have to do with these two guys is I not only brief my bosses, but I go brief Deputy Chief Burko about how the trip went, what we found out, how we want to move forward. That's when things kind of changed a little bit. Now, you in your head, take me through emotionally, as you, in your experience, you've worked a ton of cases at this point in your career. And you got Russell Poole's book. You got, let's call it, Perry Sanders information. You had looked at the LAPD file. As a career FBI agent, where are you thinking in your head in terms of your case? Is this a home run? Is this a slam dunk? Or you're like, hey, I need to go talk to all of these people now. The Biggie case, because of the hip-hop aspect of it, Death Row Records, Suge Knight, East Coast, West Coast, you know, Puffy Combs, I mean, just the full nine yards of everything, this actually became bigger, um, just from a real sex appeal standpoint from the public, too. And so that's when I told Moore and Sambar, I said, guys, this this is going to be huge, but it's so voluminous um, that I need you guys to get on this case full-time with me. Did you have a working theory in your head? I had a pretty good idea of all the different angles. Um, but again, I wasn't going to take anything for face value. I don't want to have to recreate everything that's been done. But there's certain things that are too important to just accept because somebody else talked to that person or somebody else did that part of the investigation. I was going to do it myself. So I knew firsthand more importantly, we started eliminating these crazy theories that were out there of who might have been involved in committing this murder or who conspired with who. And that got that got Burko's attention because he started thinking, holy shit, maybe these guys are onto something. Now you've, you're, you're briefing LEPD and for all intents and purposes, they're on board with you. You take a trip to New York and you go speak to Puffy. You go speak to Eugene Deal, who was Puffy's security that night. Who else do you speak to in New York when you go to New York? Oh, yeah. We spoke to Big Gene a couple times. James Lloyd, Little C's, who was uh, Biggie's best friend. Right. What was your takeaway from meeting Big Gene when you walked away from from those conversations? He was 100% credible. I first, and by the way, when I went back there, I went back with another FBI agent on our squad who who was brought on on the time to to help me with the case. And when I talked to Big Gene to set up meeting with him, he wanted me to come down to his parole uh, office location. And I had been told that his name is Big Gene. When I walked into his office there and I saw Big Gene, he is one guy you do not want to mess with. And he was, he was at first skeptical just to kind of make sure that I am who I say I am, that I don't have any ulterior motives. And then we hit it off real well. And we, I, I, I interviewed him about that whole night. I interviewed him about when he first came out and why he came out a couple days before um, Biggie was shot. And he gave me the full scoop of what went on when he was out here in L.A. Um, with Puffy, his relationship with Puffy. His relationship with with LAPD officers and other um, police departments out here in LA, when uh, whenever he came out here with with Puffy and other talent, or if somebody from LA went out to New York, which happened all the time, he had a lot of interaction. Um, when these guys work their their protective uh, duties with these celebrities, 
they're not wearing their uniforms. They're wearing suits. And they, the last thing you want to do is looking across at somebody that's with a celebrity that's wearing a suit and going like, okay, is that person armed? Are they worth that talent? You want to have a working relationship so everybody kind of knows who's armed, what's going on. Everybody's on the same page. You don't want a, a blue-on-blue situation. So he was 100% dialed in. And he kind of went through the entire night, what he saw, what he felt. And I talked to him a couple different times and then did it, had a couple follow-up uh, interviews over the phone with him and 100% credible. And here's what I want to get clarity on. According to him, the LAPD showed him what we can only assume is an image of Amir Muhammad from that night. What is your knowledge of what they showed him with that image and whether that image disappeared or it never showed up again? What, what's your recollection of that? I saw a document from Katz's file that's actually been made part of the FBI file. There were times in the course of my investigation where I was astounded at what I found out. See, Steve Katz, the same Steve Katz that we now know, was hiding evidence inside his desk at Robbery Homicide. In the last episode, Xavier Hermosillo told you the story of the hidden files of the murder of Biggie Smalls. See, Katz knows the truth of why Amir Muhammad killed Biggie. The question remains is why won't he tell the truth? Detective Steve Katz, he was the lead investigator on the Biggie murder. He went back to New York with three other LAPD detectives to do their investigation. And one of the persons that they went and talked to was Big Gene. During that interview of him, first of all, they showed him different six packs. And he picked out and circled Amir Muhammad in a six pack and said, that's the guy. And he told me he knew for a fact that was the guy that he confronted outside the Peterson when the award show was over who was standing right outside of Puffy's car because Big Gene went up to him Big Gene kind of showed him brandished his gun showed him he had his gun and then that guy went to another car that was around the corner so Big Gene said he goes I will have that image etched in my mind forever I know that face this is the guy he circled it he signed it I saw that in Katz's uh, murder file Big Gene it, it, after after they showed him the six pack, then they went ahead and they showed him a photo, and the photo was of Big Gene and this person who Big Gene believed was Amir Muhammad standing next to Puffy's car. The interesting thing was is you could see Big Gene's face as clear as day. Uh, the other face who Big Gene assumed was Amir Muhammad, it was fuzzed out. And Big Big Gene, I'll never forget this. He looks at me, goes, "Hey, you're the feds." You guys have access to be able to take this photo, try to unscramble how fuzzy or blurred up it is. He goes, that's your shooter. I guarantee you. And he goes, I know you guys have the technology to do that. And I'm like, I got to get my hands on this photo, man. So I actually did see that photo originally in the murder book. 
And when I went back, because I couldn't take copies or anything like that, I actually had, I actually wrote up a memo signed by my bosses, sent over to Detective Katz saying, we want to not only look at all the photos that you have in your murder book, but specifically the photo that you showed Big Gene that showed Big Gene standing next to this other person who we believe was Amir Muhammad, which was next to Puffy's car. When you say the first, the face was blurred out, do you make the assumption that that image was altered by the LAPD or it was just a surveillance video footage that was downgraded? No, it was it was altered. And Big Gene made it very clear. He said, look, he goes, I don't know why that face was altered and fuzzed out, but Big Gene's face was as clear as day. It didn't it didn't make any sense. Somebody obviously did it on purpose. Big Gene, you there? I know Phil Carson interviewed you and you identified, you know, Amir outside the museum. I would say justice delayed is not justice denied. I'm glad Phil Carson, whatever's heavy on his heart, is coming forward and letting the truth be known. And I thought when I told him about the picture of me and a mirror or me and the Muslim, whoever they want to say, was out front of the field with the picture of Pumpkin that they had it and they showed it to me. I thought that, you know, that the case would have been closed, but nothing ever happened. And we're here today and maybe it would happen. So justice delayed ain't justice denied. Phil Carson has never told his story in full until now. And what makes his story different than any other law enforcement officer who looked into the murder of Biggie Smalls is the idea that he could access every investigative lead that has ever been done on this case. He had access to everything. He had the time, he had the money, and he had the resources to solve this murder. Next time on The Dossier. On your trip to New York, you get a a serious piece of information. Did you get any information from Puffy at all or no? No, but what I think what got his attention was I told him that Biggie wasn't the intended target. Puffy was. And that kind of stopped him in his tracks. And he he cooperated. He was very friendly. Um, dare I say that, that he can't bring Biggie back. And he feels horrible about it because that's one of his best friends. But at the same time, he's not going to want to bury himself and drag down his business and put another target on his back. Because he was the intended target. 